Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we continue our great series on the kings of the Old Testament out of Second Chronicles. And today we come to the all-important king named Amaziah. And do you know the principle that we learn from Amaziah's life? The Bible says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but here was his fatal flaw. The Bible says he did not follow God with a whole heart. In other words, Amaziah represents today's Christian who is half-hearted. They have one foot in and one foot out. They're a mixed bag. Part of their life pleases God, while other parts of their life displeases the Lord. Well, today we're going to learn many lessons from this king, and we are going to learn how to avoid many of the mistakes that he made. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. And if it speaks into your life, let us know. Download our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace, or shoot me an email this week, Roberts at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you, Roberts at gmail.com. to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. We're in our series right now on the kings, namely the kings of the house of Judah. We are not studying the kings of the north, which is geographically at this time called Israel. We are studying the southern kingdom, which was called Judah. Remember in our Part one of our study, we looked at Rehoboam and the kingdom split under Rehoboam. The kings went King Saul, who the people chose, yet the Lord rejected. And the Lord chose who? A young, ruddy shepherd boy named who? David. And that's where the messianic covenant was made. And that's where the line was made in the eyes of God. And then who was David's son? King Solomon. And who followed King Solomon? Rehoboam. And the kingdom split. Jeroboam took the north. Rehoboam took the south. Following Rehoboam, we looked at Abijah. Then we looked at his son, Asa. And you remember, Asa had a fatal flaw. He relied on the Lord in the beginning, but then later in life, refused to look to the Lord. And many warnings we saw out of Asa's life. Rehoboam did not fully trust in the Lord, and Asa did not rely on the Lord. But then good news came. We looked at Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat lived a wonderful life. However, he made one consequential mistake. He married his son, Jehoram, to a wicked woman of the north, Ahab, and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. And he made a marriage alliance. And we said in that sermon that he was the king who made a poor choice. He made a bad choice. And many people do not live to see the consequences of their decisions. He had no idea what would happen to his son and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Remember, Athaliah killed all her grandchildren to get to the throne. What a wicked woman. We continued in our study with Jehoram. Who did not do well, wicked man. We saw his son. Oh, his name slips in my mind. Anybody remember his son's name? 
Mm. Oh, it's up there. Joash. Who is it? Joash, Joash was next. Uh, who was between? Uh, uh, it would be between Joash and Jehoram. Ahaziah, thank you. It was there. I just couldn't access the file. I couldn't find it. Ahaziah, that's right. Then, Joash. You're exactly right. Remember, Joash was the boy king, came to the throne at the age of seven. And who was influential in his life? Jehorda. And when he died at age 130, the spiritual influence of his life snuffed out and he had no relationship with God. And what was the result? He went off the rails. And this is where we pick up today in our story of the house of Judah. Have you learned from these lives? Well, today I'm going to share some very specific things with you that I trust the Lord is going to help us in. Second Chronicles chapter 25. Last week we saw that Joash was killed... They conspired against him. Why? Because he killed the son of Jehorda, Zechariah, who was the prophet, because he commanded him to be stoned to death. When he was wounded in battle, they conspired against him and they killed him. Now, his son, Amaziah, is going to ascend to the throne. And this is where we pick up in chapter 5. I want you to look at verse number 1. He took the throne at age 25. The Bible says that he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. The Bible, not only with this king, but with all other kings, it tells us about their mother. Isn't that interesting? It always tells us their mother's name. I thought that was interesting. I was pondering that this morning. Why does it go into detail to tell us the mother's name? Well, naturally, that's part of the chronicle. And we believe that the book of Chronicles was written at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, we believe that it was Ezra who spearheaded the entire project. Most likely, he had a large team of scholars, and the scholars compiled everything, and it was Ezra's project, most likely. We are of great benefit for having it today because these lives stand as great warnings to us today. Oh, the mistakes we can avoid, the pitfalls that we can avoid, the sorrow that we can avoid, the hardships that we can avoid. We can avoid so much by studying these lives. And I find it interesting that with each of the kings, it tells us their mother. Why? I think not only was it part of the chronicle for genealogy purposes, I think because, too, the Holy Spirit wants to remind us the influence that a mother has over her children. It was Abraham Lincoln who said it so well. One godly mother is worth more than 100 clergymen. I believe that. And I want to encourage you mothers today, I believe it gives us in each instance. Why? Because it speaks to the influence that you're carrying right now as you're raising your children. I want to remind you of this, and we say this often. It may not be what you do that is the greatest for the kingdom of God. It may be who you're raising. So do it well. Invest spiritually in your children, because your influence 
is going to have a lot of weight. So, verse 2, it's very interesting. We've seen a number of these with the kings. They either do what's right in the eyes of the Lord or they do what's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And when it comes to Amaziah, what's it going to say? Verse 2, he's going to do what's right in the Lord, but there is a clause. And what's the clause? He is not going to follow the Lord with a whole heart. That is going to prove to be a fatal flaw spiritually. And let me tell you who Amaziah represents today. Let me tell you who he speaks to today. His life speaks to Christians who are half-hearted. His life speaks to Christians who have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. His life speaks to someone who mixes a little bit of God into their life, a little bit of Bible into their decisions, a little bit of prayer into their life, but then they go off and they do whatever they want to do. That's who Amaziah represents today. A half-hearted Christ follower. He followed God. He did what was right in the eyes of God, but yet he only did it with a half-heart. He was not wholehearted. You know who stands in stark contrast to this? Caleb in the Bible. You know, Caleb was one of the spies. He was one of the twelve. And you remember the ten spies gave a bad report of the land and put fear in all the people's hearts. But only two spies spoke of faith. And remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. And what the Bible says over and over about Caleb, he occupies 30 verses of the Old Testament. And you know what the Bible says about him over and over and over? It says that Caleb followed the Lord wholly, fully. He had a whole heart toward the Lord. Today as we talk, as we go through Amaziah, we're going to see the ramifications. We're going to see the effects of what it means when you're half-hearted. When you've got one foot in and you've got one foot out. Verses 3 and 4, we see that he's going to obey God's commandment. They, they, they conspired against his father and they killed his father. And so he killed the man who did. In these days, you would not only do that, but you would have killed all of their lineage. But see, under Moses and under the law, God said, No, a father should not die for his son's sins and a son should not die for his father's sins. It, everyone is responsible for themselves. And he obeyed that law. Okay, it looks like he's going to start out good. It looks like he's going to be serious about the Lord. So then in verse number 5, this is interesting. He begins to mount his army. He begins to mount his defenses. And guess what he discovers? He's got 300,000 men capable and ready for warfare. Judah's going to be just fine. They're going to be able to take on whoever tries to invade them, whoever tries to pick a fight with them. Judah's going to be okay. They got 300,000 able-bodied men over the age of 20. They're healthy. They're young. They're going to be fine. But then he thinks, well, we could always be stronger. So verse number 6, I want you to pay close attention to this. He goes to Israel, the kingdom of the north, their relatives for crying out loud. 
And he hires 100,000 mercenaries. He hires 100,000 men for what the Bible calls 100 talents of silver, about 75 pounds of silver. This was a nice down payment. And now he's doing the math and he's saying, with my 300,000 capable men and with another 100,000 mercenaries, we're going to win whatever fight we come up against. But then, in verse number 7, watch this. God sends a prophet to him. And the prophet says, oh king, oh don't do this. Let me give you some good advice, king. He says, don't go to war with Israel because God is not with them. Don't go to war with them because God is not with them. And right then, this young king had a decision to make. Is he going to put his trust in God, or is his trust going to be in an arm of flesh? Is his trust going to be in his own abilities? Is his trust going to be in his generals and what they think? Is his trust going to be in their own (coughs) thinking? Or is his trust going to be that God has more than enough ability to care for them? So verse 7, the prophet says, don't do this, king. God's not with them. You know what the principle is here? You do not want to connect yourself to people that God's not with. That goes for friendships. The Bible says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. How can two walk together except they be agreed? What fellowship has light with darkness? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That goes for business relationships. God cannot bless you the way he wants to bless you. If you are are partnering with people who are ungodly, people who dishonor the Lord, who displease the Lord, And for crying out loud, it goes for relationships and marriages. Why does God not want us to be unequally yoked? Do you know why, my friends? It's because God's not near as concerned with your happiness right now today as He is years down the road. And when you listen to people who tell you, this age-old line, Oh, God just wants you Happy. Don't listen to that. If you tell yourself, oh, God just wants me happy. No, no, no. Friends, I want you to hear me today. There are some friendships. There are some relationships. There are some business partnerships. There are some things that you and I, as Christ followers, we have to evaluate and we have to say, no, listen, this this person's not with God. This, This person, God's not with them. And I cannot attach my life to that. I cannot connect myself to this. Why? Because God's not with them. And you know what this young king did? This young king listened. In verse number 8, the prophet tells him, I can hear this old prophet talking to the young king, and he says, go to battle. Go to war. God's going to be with you. Hmm. But you know what the king asked? He asked what all of us would ask. 
Verse number nine, the young king goes, yeah, but I've already paid the money. Do you know the restocking fee on mercenaries? It's not good. And he goes, "Uh, but what about the hundred talents of silver? They've done cash the check. I can't get it back. And do you know what the prophet tells him? I don't know. Are you reading your Bibles or are you just looking at me? Because I could be telling you wrong. You better, you better keep me honest. What did the prophet tell him? The prophet said, God's able to give you much more than this. You know what he's saying in essence? Cut your losses. Oh, God's given me a word to tell somebody today. Cut your losses. I couldn't walk away from him. I couldn't walk away from her. Cut your losses. I couldn't back out now. I couldn't couldn't hurt somebody's feelings. I couldn't do this. No, cut your losses. God is able to give you much more. Can somebody say amen right now? And he listens to the man of God. He listens to the prophet Amaziah. Verse number 10. He he tells the mercenaries, your services are no longer needed. Keep the hundred talents of silver. Go on home. We're going to do this thing God's way. Hallelujah. So verse 11. The plot is going to thicken. Verses 11 and 12, the young king goes to war. They go to the valley of salt. They face the Edomites, the men of Seir. And they go to war and they prevail and they overcome. And God helps them. And God delivers on his promise. But then the story takes a very odd turn. This is why I love the kings. You never know what's going to happen next. You can read it and just be riveted because you have no idea what's about to happen. You know those mercenaries that he sent home? Do you know why they were so angry? hundred talents of silver is not bad, but all that was was a down payment. Do you know why mercenaries went to war? Not only were they bloodthirsty, but do you know why they went to war? For the plunder. They wanted the spoils of whoever they were going to war with. And there were many more. There there was much more spoil to be had. And they are furious. They're beyond angry. And I don't know about you, but if you don't want anybody, mercenaries are the last people you want to make mad. They're not going to walk away from a contract with a handshake. And while... Amaziah is obeying God. Say amen if you're with me right now. While Amaziah is obeying God and doing to the letter what God expects him to do. Do you know what happens? Verse number 13. They raid the villages of Judah. They kill 3,000. And they carry off all the spoil. Do you know what that does to Amaziah? Oh, he's enraged. And something happens. You can try to find commentary for this. Trust me, I did. 
and there's not much there. <sighs> Seems like many commentaries just skip over Amaziah. Oh, but I think there's something here. I don't want to read too much in between the lines. I don't want to, but is it okay if I just share with you what, what I feel in, in, in my heart is happening with Amaziah right now that I think happens to people today over and over and over and perhaps you're listening today and this is exactly how you feel and exactly where you are. Verse 14. He has won a major battle. He overcame the Edomites. He slaughtered the men of Seir. The Lord helped him. The Lord delivered him. And God did exactly what God said he would do. And Amaziah does what to me is absolutely unthinkable. He takes their gods, their statues... That the Bible, it says, of wooden and carven images. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but they cannot hear. They have lips and tongues but they cannot speak. And he takes their gods. And the Bible says in verse 14, he sets them up and begins to worship them as his gods. What happened, Amaziah? How did you go from obeying God down to the letter of the law? What happened to obeying the prophet and losing the money and cutting the ties? And now all of a sudden you're worshiping the gods that you overthrew? What happened to you, Amaziah? How did you get so off track? What happened? Scripture doesn't tell us what happened. But let me tell you what I think happened. Between Amaziah obeying God and Amaziah going to war and prevailing, between verses 11 and 12 to 14 is verse 13. You know what I think Amaziah, you know what I think he felt like? I think he felt like he got burned by God. Here I am, God. I obeyed you down to the letter. I did exactly what you said I should do. And how did I get repaid? We got raided. And I think Amaziah felt hurt. I think he felt betrayed. I think he felt offended. I think he felt burned. I think he felt let down by God. I obeyed you. And look where it got me. Raided. So you know what? Maybe it was me who won that war. Maybe it was my strategy. Maybe it was my military might. Maybe it was my strong arm that overcame the Edomites. Maybe God is nowhere in the picture. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take their gods and that's what I'll worship. Wow, what a turn. What a turn of events. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. But I know in my heart that I'm preaching to people today who feel let down by God. You feel disappointed by God. You feel like you obeyed everything that God told you to do. And where did it get you? Sorrow. Sorrow. 
heartache, loss. The enemy came in and raided everything that you had. And the enemy came and took this spoil. And where was God? I'm reading a fascinating book right now called Tortured for Christ. The story of Richard and Sabina Wormbrand from Romania in the 1940s. Richard Wormbrand was a communist, a Marxist, an atheist, and a Jew. By his late 20s, he had rejected God and everything about God. You know why? Because he saw a lot of suffering in the world. And because he saw suffering in his own family. It's because Richard could not reconcile a God who was good and a God who would allow suffering. It did not compute for him. And he couldn't reconcile it. In his 20s, he tried to go to Mass. He walked up to a stone statue of Mary. And he said, that's exactly what you are. You're stone. You don't hear. You don't answer. You're stone. And he walked away from God. Well, God has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? God has a way of revealing himself to us, doesn't he? God has a way of getting his sheep, no matter how far from the fold they go, he goes after them. God got a hold of Richard Wormbrand. And God got a hold of Sabina. And they turned the world upside down. They're in heaven today, but their work still continues. Many people have asked me, Chad, why are you not angry at God? Not only do you pray for God to open your blind eyes, but so many people pray for me. People tell me all the time, Chad, I pray for you every day. Oh, I appreciate that. Have you ever been let down by God? Have you ever been disappointed by him? Have you ever felt betrayed by God? I think Amaziah did. And I don't think he knew what to do. So you know what he did? He did what so many of us do. He turned to idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? When you and I think of idolatry, I think... In our, at least in our culture, this Western American culture, we think of statues. We think of people worshiping crazy things. Some years ago, I smuggled Bibles into communist Vietnam. And I was amazed. Every little store that I would go into, they would have a carving of Buddha. And they would have incense burning. And they would have fresh fruit laid out for that statue. I went to the infamous Kaodai Temple in southern Vietnam. They had erected a massive 
wooden image. I mean, it was, I don't, it was probably 100 feet tall. Hundreds and hundreds of people worshiping, bowing down to this massive image. They actually had a children's choir singing to this image. It was idolatry like I had never seen in all my life. I felt like I was in a movie. It was unbelievable. But just because in our culture we don't worship statues, don't think for a moment that we don't worship. Don't think for a moment that we are not prone to idolatry. Do you know what the problem is with idolatry? Is that human hearts are prone toward it. Do you know what true worship is? When you and I came in here today to worship God, do you know it has nothing to do with the music style? It has nothing to do with whether a song made you feel emotional or no. Whether you liked the beat of it or not. Worshiping God is not a factor when it comes to those things. I should say those things are not factors in worshiping God. Do you know what the word worship means? Now, what am I talking about? He set up carving images. He set up idols. He set up their gods. And he worshipped them as his own. Do we do the same? Potentially, yes. What is idol worship? What is idolatry? Listen, what the word worship means, it actually comes from two old English words. Worth, value, treasure, ship. Worth, value, ship. Worship is what you value. Worship is what you treasure. And you know what? Just like Amaziah, do you know what so many of us do? We make the blessings of God. We make the help of God. We make the provisions of God. We turn them into idols into our life. For some people, their family is their idol. It's the greatest worth. It's the greatest worth to them. Even above the Lord Jesus Christ. For some people, it's their income. For some people, it's security. An idol can be any number of things. It's whatever you find the greatest value, the greatest worth-ship. That's what you worship. And you know what? The danger, people of God, is for us as Christ followers today. The danger is that we do not find value. We do not find treasure. We do not find our greatest worth in anything apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is idolatry. Even the good things. Even the blessings. Even the things that God wants to bring right into your life. Our human nature can flip it into an idol just like that. And this is the warning for us. Is that we would not allow disappointments with God. We would not allow times that we wish things had been different. To set up in our hearts idol worship toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God will not have it. He will not have it. God is a jealous God.
And he won't compete with any other thing in your life. Are there things that are the sheer blessings of God, but yet they're competing with God right now? Are there things that God loves for you to enjoy, but you enjoy them more than the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, it might be you've turned it into an idol. Do you know what we should do? We should do exactly what Amaziah should have done. We should simply repent and turn from it. You know, I love my family. I'm amazed how much I love my family. Oh, I got so scared this week. Did you hear what happened to John Mark? John Mark is only three. Poor John Mark. He's got this blind dad. And I got up real early that morning, and I'm sitting in my recliner listening to a book or something. And John Mark comes upstairs, and he tells me he hit his head. Well, you know, I thought he, like, hit a doorknob or something. You know, he, the boy hits his head all the time. And I didn't know he fell out of the bed and hit it on the bed rail, and he was really hurt. I felt so bad. I'd say, Jaybird, quit whining. You're okay. Walk it off. You're fine. Rub some dirt in it, boy. You all right? I had no idea how hurt he really was. Couldn't see it. Sadie gets up a bit later, and Sadie sees it and goes, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. No, that's really bad. And you know what he begins to do? He begins to throw up. He threw up six times consecutively. We called his doctor and she said, don't even take him to the ER. Take him straight to Nicewanger. Take him straight there. Boy, that would make you feel real nervous real fast. And come to find out, he's got my hard head. No bleeding on the brain. Just, but he did have a concussion. We love our families. We love our children. We love our spouses. We love our families. But you know what? The Bible doesn't say it's in our family that we live, move, and have our being. The Bible says it's in Christ that we live, move, and have our being. And see, many of you, you've lost loved ones. Many of you have lost children. You've lost spouses. You've lost people that you've walked through pain like, I can't know. But you know what the word of the Lord is to all of us, whether you lose children, whether you lose spouses, whether you lose eyesight, whatever. It's in Christ that we live, we move, and we have our being. Nothing replaces the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing at all. God gives us our income. God gives us the ability to have income. He gives us our health. But do we turn that into an idol? And do we love it more than we love the giver? Huh. Let's inventory and let's be on guard that we don't turn the great blessings of God into idols, into our lives. Amaziah should have repented. So watch what happens. Where am I? Verse... 15. Somebody tell me what verse 15 says real quick. Give me a, give me a, a reboot. Oh, yeah, thank you. The Lord became angry with Amaziah. Why did God become angry? Because he's an all-consuming fire. And the Lord won't compete. The Lord will not compete. So he sends another prophet to him. 
He sends a prophet to warn him. To say, Amaziah, what are you thinking? How can you overthrow this army and now worship their gods? That makes no sense. Now remember, why I think he did it. I think because he's hurt at God. I think he's mad at God. So remember in verses 7 and 8, Amaziah listened to the prophet. What are we going to do with the money? What do we do with all this silver? We've already paid it. The check's already cashed. What do I do? And the prophet said, cut your losses. And he said, all right, I'll obey God. What changed? Now this prophet comes and says, Amaziah, what are you thinking? This is not right. You've offended God. God's angry at you. And I want you to look at at his response to the prophet. Have we made you a royal counselor? Oh, he's way too big for his britches now. Have we made you a royal counselor? Stop! And the prophet stops. But then the prophet says, God's going to destroy you. Because of what you've done. Amaziah refused to repent. Now he's so mad at Israel because of what they did in the raid. He wants to go toe-to-toe with them. And do you know why? (coughs) You know why he wants to go toe-to-toe with them? It's because he overthrew the Edomites. He overcame the men of Seir. Now he thinks he's invincible. You know what the problem is when we walk away from God? We start to think we're invincible. And you're not. And now he thinks he's absolutely invincible. And he sends word to the king of Israel. And he says, I want to see you face to face, eye to eye. In other words, he wants a showdown. And do you know what the king of Israel says? He actually insults him quite a bit. He says, a thistle said to a cedar of Lebanon, give me your daughter and the donkey treaded the thistle. You know what he's saying? That's that's old ancient Bible. That's smack talk right there. He's saying, I'm a cedar, you're a twig, and I'm going to run over you like a wild beast. And he says in verse 19, you overcame the Edomites, and now you're proud. Now your head can't even fit through a door frame. And now you've got a serious problem. You better stay home. In other words, let me translate it. You better know your role. And it's pretty insulting. And I want you to look at verse 20. In verse 20, Amaziah made the same fatal mistake that his Father made in the previous chapter that Joash made. What does the Bible say in verse 20? And he would not listen. The fatal flaw. I wonder who I'm preaching to today. I know this is not a feel-good sermon, and I know that I know it doesn't give you warm fuzzies today. But also know that I'm preaching to somebody today. That God is giving you warning after warning after warning. And what will the commentary of your life be? What will the decision point of this season of your life be? Will it be 
that you would not listen. God forbid. Verse 21, he picks a fight. Let me tell you what's dangerous when you pick a fight in spiritual warfare and God's not on your side. You're going to get chewed up and spat out. You are no match for the enemy on your own. And there are some Christians who they feel like they are absolutely invincible and they can mix the world and they can mix God and everything will turn out fine. Oh no, my friend, the enemy will devour you. So he picks a fight. He wants to go toe-to-toe with Israel. Verses 22 to 25, they go toe-to-toe and guess what? Israel overcomes them. Israel takes them captive. Verse 27, and this is where I begin to close. I want you to pay very close attention to what it says. From the time that Amaziah turned away from the Lord. That's the commentary of his life. Who was Amaziah? He was a man who had all the promise of the future. He was a man who started out listening. He was a man who started out obeying God. He was a man who went to war with God and did well and prevailed. But what's the commentary of his life? He wouldn't listen. Like his father before, he listened to the prophet and then he rejected the prophet. He listened to the Lord and then he rejected the Lord. And what's the commentary in verse 27? He turned away. From the Lord. They found him in Lachish, and it was in Lachish that they assassinated him. What a sad life. It shouldn't have been that way. He started out well, but he didn't finish well. What about you today? What about you today? Are you listening to the Lord or are you listening to other people? You're listening to God's word. You're listening to a bunch of friends. Who are you listening to? Are you mad at God today? Have the circumstances of life left you angry toward the Almighty? Say, Chad, what do I do if I'm mad at God? I don't want to be mad at God. I don't want to feel this way. What do I do? Well, let me tell you what I do. The Bible says you and I can taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Take God at His word. See, here's what Amaziah didn't understand. When Judah got raided and plundered, here's what Amaziah didn't understand. That was God's business. That was God's interest. That's God's people. And see, Amaziah made God's fight his fight. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the battle is not yours. It belongs to the Lord.
The Bible says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Huh. And see, for some of you, Satan has stolen. Satan has plundered. Satan has carried off spoil. And here you are in your flesh going, I don't know what to do. Hey, let me remind you, it's God's business. It's God's interest. It's God's name on the line. It's God's glory on the line. You don't have to do anything but be faithful and obedient. That's it. But you know when we get in trouble? is when we take the matters into our own hands. That's when we go into idol, idolatry. So what do you need today? Do you need to humble yourself down? Then humble down. Do you need to repent? Then repent. Do you need to course correct? Then course correct. Do you need to say, God, I need a new perspective. I need to taste and I need to see that God is good. Whatever you need to do, Amaziah, don't go your own path. Stop. Repent. Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.